Hello, this is Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. And we are Two Teachers Talking. This is a podcast where Tony and I get together, talk about issues in education, talk about teaching in Japan, teaching at universities in Japan, talking about all the things we don't know and all the things we pretend to know about. <laughs> and uh, this is episode 72. Where we're going to actually really be talking about something we know we absolutely know. <laughs> nothing about, we know nothing about, and that's the future. Yeah. We're going to try to go out on a limb here and talk about what we think is going to be happening in education in the future. Kind of talk about trends and what we think and what we believe and what I crazy ideas I have. I don't know about your ideas, Tony, but it's um, an interesting topic because we're always trying to figure out where things are going and try to make some predictions. And um, let's start off with, we're going to kind of do this very casually today and kind of a little bit of a back and forth between Tony and I. So Tony's going to start by making his prediction, <laughs> set you up well, on that not? one. I'm, I'm eminently unqualified, so why right. not? Well, we're, Step we, right into it, right? Right, we both are. And kind of just go back and forth and kind of comment on each other's ideas and what we think is going to be happening. And it, it, since the important thing here is to realize that this is just not a new discussion. <laughs> it's been going on and on for years and years, and we've talked about this in the past, I think, where... You can go back into the 1960s and see how film strip projectors were going to revolutionize education or the video recorder and how technology is going to do things or new insights into education or science. And it just goes on and on. It goes in this never ending circle. So we're just going to kind of try to keep the circle spinning in this incredible perpetual motion machine called predicting the future in education. So, Tony, why don't you take a gander at this why don't you go first sure sure so yeah it, it's certainly a, a moving target right and um i have the distinct disadvantage of having very much of a you know, i always use the the, you know, the military analogy i've got an infantry perspective to all this i don't have the luxury of the the big picture of the general back at the board um pretty much i'm on the front lines, except for brief periods of R&R right now, <laughs> between semesters, when I can kind of stick my head up and take a look around, and more often than not, my worst suspicions are confirmed. But um, just to um, start off with the general ideas, because the reason we're going to do this very casually like this, because you talk about the future, well, the near future, about next year, the next five years, the far future, which I, I think is, I mean, it's interesting mental exercise, but I don't know how useful it is, you know, 30 years, 50 years on. Um, and I think if we talk about the future, most of us very quickly move to the idea of tech and technology and how that's going to change teaching or not, as the case may be. Um, but the other part of the of change, which is, um, for lack of a better word, let's call it political whether it's bureaucratic or structural or philosophical in terms of the education structure that you have to be teaching in, whether it's in Japan, the United States, or uh, somewhere in, uh, in the EU, EU uh, or other parts of Asia, you got these different parameters, like the near future, far future, and the technological aspect, for lack of a better word, and then the political aspect. So we're just going to splatter. We're going to use a gunshot and just go all over the place. Um, but I'll start off by saying... <laughs> <laughs> it was just start off. Start off by saying, um, I don't think 
I don't see much change at all. <laughs> I don't think it's, there's going to be that much change. Um, why, do, why do I say that? Well, I look at the last 10 or 15, 20 years, and I don't see a whole lot of change. You've got these cycles, right? And there's um, this whole cycle of non-change and all these you know, looking again, looking at the short term, okay, this is going to revolutionize teaching. And we, Charles, you talk about this all the time. The film strip. Oh, this is, oh my God. Well, now the teacher's not teaching, he's just showing, you know, films to the class or video in the classroom. Or, of course, more recently, the internet, computers, cell phones, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, all these revolutions and basically, the classroom is still the classroom. We've talked about that in previous episodes too. So we're right off at the top. It's like nothing's going to change. Okay. Okay. We done. All right. We're done. Thank you. <laughs> All it's right. interesting. Actually, Tony, I think some things are going to change and I'm going to go out. Of course. Of course. I, I think what you're really talking about is just this emphasis on technology or toys that, there's a new toy comes into the world, whether it's the tablet or the laptop computer or computer uh, language labs, right, are the best example of some things that's going to transform education. But the place I would start is I think the biggest influence on the future is going to be the inclusion and the continuing inclusion of brain science into teaching, like how we actually learn, how the brain actually works, and really addressing that in the classroom. So it's not going to necessarily be a technological kind of thing, but it's going to actually be a more kind of evidence-based looking at, you know, this is how our brains work. And we know that based on how they work, that this is how it processes information and how it retains information, and that we're going to start incorporating those kind of ideas much more into teaching. That's the big thing I see coming in the next few years. What do you think? I agree with you. I would I would put that in the in the technology bucket, but well, kind of, I, but not in the toy bucket. Not in the toy bucket. No, but I I, I would categorize it with with the technology. Um, and I agree with you that it, in in my own reading, this is probably one of the most exciting areas um, to watch. Um, to, and, I, and as I see the incredible strides being taken there, on, at the same time, I'm not that optimistic that we're going to see real changes in the classroom because of those advances. I think it's going to be slow and gradual, and I think that's a lo- it's going to be a long time coming, I think. But, you know, I like slow and gradual. Well, it's probably the, the way to go, right? Obviously. Well, well, in a, especially if we look in the past and we look at these cycles, mm-hmm. we were talking about this before, mm-hmm. just how something becomes a fad and then it goes out and then it gets modified and um, common core in the United States where you have standardized testing across the United States and before there wasn't. And now it's kind of going back to the States individually. And, you know, we see this all the time, these fads, these, uh, you know, current research shows us a new way, a best new way, a new best way, etc. And then it gets implemented, and then it gets modified. Um, Task-based learning, right, um, is now been changed to task-based activities. So that people realize there is no, you can't do a whole program around just task-based learning, it has to involve other things. Um, The movement towards, um, inquiry-based learning 
which is looking at you know the whole a real basic kind of way of seeing education that one i think is probably going to stay because it, it's a a real first kind of basic foundational level but slow would be best because then it's implemented and modified and it's moving slowly instead of these great huge changes right we i think you were talking before tony about the curriculum the giant curriculum changes that have to take place every few years because that's what people are supposed to do well that's that's the political political aspect right and um people who've been teaching for a long time especially you've been like at one school for a long time you may have lived through <laughs> survived some several of these changes right where yes there's there's a there's a change in the administration there's a new president there's a new director and says like, well things aren't going so well so right now we've got each of the departments that we have has their own little English department and it's all departmentalized. Uh, we're going to form a common foreign language department or an English department. <clears throat> and this department will be a, a service department to all the different colleges, all the different universities. So they, some would pull it all together. Some that they revise the curriculum, divide things up different ways. And that goes on for five, six, seven years for the tenure of this person in charge. And he, he or she leaves, is replaced. Someone comes in and says, well, these English scores, they're just, just not really should be. I think we need to do is like to specialize the English education for each of these departments. So we have this one big English department that's in charge of all these English specialists. Well, we this is not working. So we're going to have to specialize it. So we're going to have business English and technical English and literature and they divide up and and so it goes another six or seven years that curriculum is undone and, and redone again and in the interim you have the same teachers and the same textbooks and the same classes and the the bags change the content is the same um, you want plastic or paper this year <laughs> it's still going to be lettuce cauliflower and a couple of steaks <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question of, but do the results change? And since I've been in Japan, um, which was the ending of the whole translation method and the introduction of the communicative method and the whole idea of methods, but, you know, is there a higher percentage of people becoming fluent in a foreign language given the changes in the the philosophies, the different educational philosophies, the different methods or the different approaches. I don't know if anybody's really looked at that, have they? I'm pretty sure that they have, but Somewhere I them, don't. But I've never come across one, really. So I I think probably you get better. the answers that you don't want to have to deal with, because but, I think what you would find, and this is this is actually, we're, we're going to go off on a tangent here. <laughs> You're going to go off on a tangent. I'm going to go off on a tangent. <laughs> and I'm going this, to follow you happily down the rabbit hole. Because it, it has to do with tech. And it has to do with adaptation and change. And it also happens to be that the topic of my master's thesis 20 years ago, um, where I talked about uh, bringing internet to Japan, internet education and as a facet of, of education to Japan. And did a big, big, big study. And uh, results were very interesting. I didn't bury them. I published them. <laughs> uh, but um, Somebody else buried them. <laughs> <laughs> But it was fascinating. You know, we talked, uh, you know, and the thing was about, you know, how much, you know, internet in the classroom, internet at home, students use, teachers use both. It, it was a huge data crunch. And the differences were not how much 
technology was used or not used in the classroom or at home or the school or um, major or 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 the the differentiating factor was you're going to be real shocked at this the individual teacher <gasps> oh my god can you imagine can you imagine I can't, you the I, it's, something's wrong so with it's a, your results a big school same students same majors same level two different teachers results more opposite ends of the scale it's mind-boggling nothing else nothing else was made a difference and the the, the conclusion of that and a couple of the papers that i <laughs> recycled things for um was about you know teaching making the difference that it is the teacher in the classroom that makes the difference so um i guess if we're looking at the future and change then um Teacher education is where we would look to see what's going to change. And again, that's going to change, I think, because of the brain science, cognitive science. I hope so. Well, we're beginning to see it. I think that it, it's, it's happening. Part of it, as what you said, is that we see it from an infantry perspective. So it's a long time before things trickle down. And neither one of us is in a teacher training mm -hmm, program mm -hmm. as a student. Mm. Right, I'm involved in a teacher training program as an instructor, and we're beginning to see it little by little. But you're right, it's kind of slow. But traditionally, I think teaching colleges have been slow, at least in Japan. I don't know what's happening in the United States. Well, you can err. You can err both ways, right? You can either by by you know not adapting to changes which will be advantageous but at the same time sometimes by not hopping on the the, the, the latest bandwagon you s solve problems that, you avoid problems and that, that don't late, later need to be solved for example with technology um we still are in a lot of a lot of places where i teach struggling with that old uh computer lab mentality where um schools have adapted this adjunct to their classroom teaching um, normally known as ALC, ALC. It, it, it has to do with, it's nothing to do with education. It's a, the company name. It's like Akebono's Learning Company or something like that. Um, where, yeah, schools have bought into this system and now are straddled with having to use it. And we've had that imposed on us. Um, and it's not without its benefit, but if you were going to do uh, make an in investment technology that's going to have a significant impact on your learning, that's probably not where you'd want to go. So minimizing those kinds of mistakes it can be an advantage of going slow. But however, once, that, once the people have passed that fork in the road, undoing that change is also a long time coming. So in that sense, yeah. Slow is often not a disadvantage. Okay. So let's bring it all back. Let's come back from Go. The, the rabbit hole here. Yeah. Um, we, I think I said that brain science would be the big thing that's coming in the future. So it's your turn. Okay. Um, we are in Japan. Uh, we are in for another... Uh, dip in the birth rate, fertility rates after 1995. 
So from 1990 to 1995, the fertility rate, birth rate, was fairly stable. Um, from 1995 until now, it's been pretty much a linear decrease. Um, so that is going to affect things in in many different ways, and uh, we don't, you know, and of course it'd be more some more of the same with some schools maybe going out of business, um, different policies on enrollment, maybe you know lower admission standards, lower level of students that are admitted to the university. Um, Cost-cutting measures, letting teachers go, bigger classes. Tony, we're talking about the future, <laughs> not the <laughs> more, present. More, not the I, present. I, you remember that I started off saying not much was going to change. Okay. Um, so for the near future, I see more of the same. Um, but uh, it, I'm sure at some point in our discussion it'll come up, and maybe this will we'll go in this direction. Now it's like um, how for example, slow or not, how technology may change that. And if, I don't know, restructuring the classrooms, um, not with this um, computer lab type arrangement, but for some of the other more progressive ideas about integrating technology. And uh, of course, one one frame that, you know, the, the one thought that always comes to mind with, with bureaucrats is, okay, fine, well, we can put everything online and we can just have a one lecture a week with 200 students and the students can just spend all their time online and then we can get rid of three or four teachers and save X amount of yen dollars. Um, which is, you know, from the bureaucrat's perspective, always the, the goal of technology is to reduce the costs and increase efficiency of something, not necessarily learning. Um, and that may be... This declining birth rate may be uh, an accelerant for that kind of thinking or that kind of action. Okay. Um, I certainly hope not, um, because it's such a waste of the potential of the technology. Right. Hmm. But um, in terms of the next few years, I think that's another thing that's not going to change so much. We're going to continue to struggle with that lower birth rate here in Japan anyway. Okay. I your turn. Okay. Um, I want to run, riff off something you said. I think what's going to happen in the future is that universities, departments will start making their own apps for their department. So it's, and everything will be directed to mobile devices. So there's, instead of spending money, or if people are smart and they realize this, instead of spending money on a language lab, which is actually a waste of money given that everybody's got a computer in their hand and every student has headphones, that, or you could even buy, you could even buy a phone for every student probably for the cost of a, a language lab. They must be unbelievably expensive. Yes. Right? And it, then there's licensing and consider fees. Consider the maintenance. The maintenance, right? And then God the knows. The service, the support, yeah. right? Oh, it's, it's insane. It's nuts. Right. And it must be kind of twitchy software in a lot of ways. But mm -hmm. I would think that we'll see more use of handhelds in the classroom, that teachers will start moving away from their fear of the handheld in the classroom in the same way that they were scared of computers in the beginning. I remember where people said we can't have c internet connections mm. at school because students will go on and start watching <laughs> porn. Remember that? Mm. That was actually an argument. And everybody realizes, no, it's, it's an absurd argument. Um, so I think we'll see teachers becoming more open to using apps in class based on their students having their handheld devices, whether it's a smartphone, 
Oh, here's a prediction. We will stop using the term smartphone and just use phone. Mm, that's almost happening. It's, it's just kids, like, right? yeah, it's it's amazing. The it's, phone is the phone, and the other ones are Galapagos phones. Exactly. The other right, thing, so, they, they're, they're dinosaurs. So it'll be interesting to see. So I really hope you're right, because this is when we talk about you know, change in tech and things, because I this is something that I'm very excited about, and I really hope that um, teachers are allowed uh, the flexibility to increase that sharing of information via device, I mean, I'm going to call it a phone, whatever it is, between the two student and the teacher, um, and among the students themselves, that communication, that information sharing in the classroom, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for that kind of stuff. And I really hope that teachers are given the freedom to do that because a lot of, we talked before, right, about failure by design, schools kind of actually forbidding that kind of communication yeah. well, well first off it's really it, it's really stupid to forbid it because if you think that your first goal is to save money right cut costs right how do you do that you offload the cost onto the students so if you allow students to bring in these supercomputers which is basically what these android phones and ios phones are the student is paying for that device by themselves right so you don't need to buy computers anymore. You don't need to pay for the infrastructure. And in fact, you don't even need a school network in certain ways because the students are using the cellular network. But that's an incredibly easy way to you know, really reduce costs because now, for example, I don't need even need a projector in the classroom. I tell my students, okay, go to the course website. Look at, you know, week number three, go to this, you know, this section of the website. Don't even need the projectors any longer. Right. So they don't have to upgrade projectors. And those are pretty expensive devices if you think one projector in every classroom. So I'm hoping that people at the top will realize, wait a second, this is a major cost cutter. This is really something we want to do. And, go, and going beyond the cost, right? Talking about from an educational perspective. So we talked a little bit about this about a year ago, talking about the future classroom, um, with this kind of extra layer of communication where you have, okay, you go to take your, what you've got a step farther. Okay, go, they go to a website. They got the website there, but there also you've got different parts on the screen, which is getting really hard on a crowded on a little phone, but their eyes are pretty good, where you've got a section or a field or a, a little thing out where they can, share comments and questions amongst each other, a little section where they can pose questions to the teacher, where the teacher can supplement with either, or, you know, text or links or graphs or charts, whatever it might be. So they've got the, the core stuff, the spontaneous communication, individual communication to individual students, um, and student communication, student to teacher and student to student, to have all that built in is a potentially a powerhouse of a, of a classroom, right? Well, they do that now with, um, what is it, Line. Yeah. They create groups for their classes. Right, and right. they talk to you, and then they say, yeah, he's uh, Mr. Wiz again. He's just, you know, he's a terrible teacher. He gave us too much homework. So, mm -hmm. But they're doing it already, so why are we not jumping on what they're doing naturally, what they're doing natively? So that's my prediction is I think we'll see more a focus from the IT departments, less in infrastructure, which they're just focused on right now. That's all they do. To, yeah, well, I, ho I hope you're right. I hope I, I'm right. Well, I'm just, I'm, okay. 
every every prediction that is practical, useful, and makes sense will not come true. There's my prediction, okay? <laughs> but then, you know, so we've just ended the podcast for the second time. <laughs> but I think that this one's overwhelming in the sense that once the bean counters see it, it will... It's one of the few times where an education, a, a positive change, actually makes sense, and as an from an accounting perspective, if everything goes to the point where it's an apps or there are apps that are designed for portable devices that the students are buying, it's an overwhelming argument to move to that model since it's so cost effective. It's a major savings, I think. So oh, yeah, that's sure, why, sure, but that's course. why I think it's going to work, because one someday someone who is an accountant will figure out. Wait a second, this makes the most amount of sense. Mm. My other prediction, based on this, by the way, is once those accountants make the most, you know, make sense of that, they'll probably realize it makes sense for every teacher to just have their own website by themselves, and that we'll be paying for that by ourselves. Because I don't use the school learning management system because it's easier for me to put together a simple website. I think a lot of us do the same right. thing. And so once they figure that out, then I, and there's enough free services out there. I think wordpress.org, right? Mm -hmm. Everything's free. Um, we'll see that. I can't believe that, but I could be wrong. <laughs> and the reason I say this now is if my thinking were, if my thinking was accurate, then schools would have been using um, <laughs> right Linux and open source software, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. so now I retract everything. Well, we don't um, know. We don't know. Again, this is the future. We don't know. Well, like I said, I hope you're right. But and yeah. I hope I hope it, I hope it falls okay, that way. So your turn. Go. All right. Um, it's my turn again. <laughs> that was um, my turn. I was talking about, or I I added something to yours, so that counts. Okay. All right. So um, I predict that teachers will continue to cheat on each other. <laughs> oh, well, away from away from the from the tech aspect. Okay. Um, even though right now in high schools there seems to be a push for push toward more communicative ability, I. I'm getting a sense that at the university level, the pendulum is actually swinging in the other direction. And there is right now, and I guess, and I guess I'm saying for the first, for the future, short term, um, uh, a sw the pendulum swing back toward accuracy over communicative ability. Hmm. What do you think? You're asking me? Yeah, well, okay. that's I'll, my okay. idea, and I'm, I'm saying that because the, I, my reason is because I'm at one school where that definitely seems to be the case, and okay. I don't, and I'm saying that's like, hmm, I'm wondering if this is a trend. Okay, I don't know. I'm going to predict the complete opposite of that. I'm going to predict that there will be an incredible shift from the teaching of linguistic um, competency to communicative competency because artificial intelligence, as in translation software, in 10 years or 15 years will make incredible leaps and bounds. It will never be perfectly accurate. Or no, let me rephrase. It In that time frame, it will not be 100% accurate. So that when making choices, given the information you're being fed, let's say from a translation app or a translation AI, for example, that 
you will need to know the social context you're in. You'll need to know which register has to be used. So that it kind of like, you know, that scene in the Terminator where he's in the room and then the his computer brain gives him like a choice of three different responses. I think that given the how quickly translation software is advancing, that there won't be a need for linguistic competency or such an emphasis on accuracy that people will need to know how how to make the choices given the input they're receiving through the translation software. That's my prediction. Hmm. I I hope you're right. You keep um, saying that, Tony. Well, because, you hope well, I'm right. Well, I'm <laughs> Which, not. You know, I'm not a really big optimist, Charles. <laughs> duh. I think really? I think you know that about me. Um, yeah, it's like, and then, yeah, I, and again, I say, I hope you're right. Well, actually, I was going to say, Tony, that you've, we've been in Japan so long that when somebody says, I hope you're right, they're saying, you know, that's pretty much the stupidest idea I've ever heard, <laughs> <laughs> given the way things are communicated so subtly yes, in right. Japanese. But Remember, Charles, you're in Japan. Right. Oh, thank you for reminding me about, oh, that's, you see, there's another <laughs> message in that, too. <laughs> but, yeah, you hope I'm right. But this one, but to, to, yeah, to, to follow up with though with you because this is you know a little optimistic, sure. But um, to pull together what you just said about um, the future of computer translation, and um, the, what you said before about uh, our learning about how brains work and how brains learn, uh, one thing that I do see happening is a big increase in the use of artificial intelligence and robots in teaching children language. Children, I mean, preschool or elementary school kids where they have a, a toy, a robot, which that teaches them a foreign language or math or whatever it might, or geography, whatever it might be. Um, with those, um, you know, with robots taking over a lot of that, what I guess used to be a, a good mother's role, and they're like, like feeding the information and um, context, et cetera, et cetera, to the kids. Um, and to the degree that that artificial intelligence allows communication, um, can teach more and more of this uh, to the kids, taking it even farther in, into the, again into the future um the artificial intelligent uh becomes the teaching assistant and um to again you have your the student has conversation with its his her bot partner um they take notes they write down questions you have access to a transcript of the conversation. You can study the conversation and then bounce it off the teacher when you have your real classroom time. Um, okay, and the teacher can look at the transcript. Say, okay, this 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 person's got a problem with this and this and this. Mm, <laughs> we got a problem with this AI over here. He really doesn't understand this particular idiom, you know, bug report, um, so forth or, or so on. Um, and again, it depends on the creativity and expertise of the the programmers um, when you have for for example the, the part where the teaching becomes um, critical is when you have for example the student asking the bot do you like bread or rice it's going to take a teacher to explain why that's an inappropriate question okay why is it inappropriate 
because it implies that those are your only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got me. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> cheap shot. Cheap shot. Uh, well, you know me. I'm a cheap date. <laughs> Uh, do you like processed cheese or camembert? Right. <laughs> <laughs> do you like cheap things or expensive things? <laughs> right. But that maybe it's an interesting thing because I do agree with you, Tony, that I think the basic introduction to language studies makes a lot of sense to be done with um, technology, for example, mm, especially when yeah, you're learning sure. vocabulary. Colors, and animals, bra- bra- vocab- basic vocab- grammar sure, rules right. where that kind of immediate feedback, it can be done um, and... The computer is adjusting the learning, or the AI is adjusting the learning. Do you remember Furbies? Pardon me. Do you remember Furbies? What are I don't you know somewhere in the back of my mind. Furby Furbies were small dolls. They they're like maybe uh, eight inches tall, ten inches tall, uh, and they learned. They 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 had a language, and the more you interacted with the doll, the the more it would interact with you, and the more it would say say. And if there were more than one of these Furbies in the room, they would learn each other's names and learn to interact with each other. And you might not be in the room, but if they would just wake up, one would just wake up, and it's and it would start talking, talking, quotation marks, talking to the other this. Furby, right? Really? And oh yeah, they were great. I had I what had two of to them. them? Um, they became extinct because of became, global warming. Well, for, for they were Sorry. they were they were outlawed from a lot of like government offices and things because people were sp- unnecessarily. They're sp- well, they're, they're, they they're can hear they can people. they can hear they might be able to hear and process and send critical you know secret information. Um, but they were pretty cool. I mean, they were primitive, of course. I mean, this was this is like twenty years ago, eighteen years ago, maybe. Um. Well, I don't know what happened to Ibo, right? Um, mm, I was why have these things disappeared? But um, no, the Furbies are pretty neat. But think about a contemporary version of this Furby with contemporary uh, artificial intelligence mm. could go a long way with teaching a kid language basics. Well, a lot of other things too. Of, yeah, of course. Right. And um, so because that, that basic level, that basic introduction... A teacher's time could be spent helping students learn at higher levels, different kinds of learning. Yeah, not right, listen exactly. and repeat. Right? That's not the best use of a teacher's time for the drill segment. Some things have to be acquired. Here's the thing, too, I think is the advantage, is looking at memory curves and memory loss. And that the technologies there, or these like robots or machines, will know when to mm-hmm. re- quiz the student so that they can remember better. I think right. there's something right. else too, is I think we'll start seeing the way people approach quizzes and tests in a very different way. Also, once we integrate more with this brain science and brain, how the brain works, understanding that quizzing, quizzes are tools for remembering and you won't be punished or penalized because of having mm-hmm. a low quiz score, but that the quiz score will be used to help you get feedback as to how much you have to remember and what items you don't need. So again, I'm being an optimist there again, right? That there will be a shift in how we look at testing and quizzing as tools for learning rather than as measurements for learning. Well, I think down, I think long term down the road, I think you're absolutely right. That is going to be that is what's going to happen. This, I mean, with whether and how much of this actual teaching is done by the AI, 
Um, but in terms of uh, the data that's received from all testing and quizzing and so forth and how to integrate that with learning, uh, reinforcement and retention, et cetera, et cetera, um, is, I think, a, a very real thing to expect someday. Okay. All right. So I think it's my turn now, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's move away from technology slightly because we can Good luck. Keep... Um, Go. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, DJ Condon, who was one of our um, guests on the podcast, he and I were talking once, and DJ brought up a really interesting point, which he said one of the biggest challenges in education right now is how we're limited by time, that students have to be in a certain place at a certain time to learn. So this is kind of tied to technology, but I think we'll also see it in the way that classes or courses are designed, that students will not be bound by Monday, 10 o'clock to 11.30 or 9 o'clock, 9.30 to 12 o'clock, having to be in one space. We'll somehow be working around this again through technology. It's, so I didn't get away from it, and so you proved <laughs> your point. but that we'll start learning, understanding that learning does not have to take place in like a, a, a big box filled with tables and chairs. And that there are other ways for students to communicate it. I don't know if that's going to be more open spaces or more casual spaces. Um, and I think part of this will be accomplished by using some kind of gamification where students are engaged in some kind of cooperative or partially competitive game that they're trying to complete things and that they're able to access how well they're doing and that this will maybe change a little bit. I, I don't see ourselves being in a classroom at a set period of time or in a boxed classroom as we are now. I, I see it more as students coming and going or kind of like a station approach where different students are working at different times. And one of those stations is the teacher's desk where that's where students can come up or they actually spend some time with the teacher and then they move back on through the cycle. So that's one of my predictions. I, I like it. I think I think now that's I think a warning. If you like it, I know that you disagree. Long, long, <laughs> no, long, long term, I think it's right there. And I think when you when when you talked with the DJ, one of the things you talked about, one of the nice things about um, the Academy Academy, the Canadian Academy, is that it was happening now. Right. I think that's very forward looking, and it's very and a lot of things that you and I have read and shared and, and discussed and things is, um, and it was I, I liked that you slipped into the tech thing because. When you talked about that kind of interaction among the students, you've, you've, you thought you made a mistake, but you didn't. But it was perfect because the tech doesn't matter. When it's most successful, it's invisible. Or the it really is... doesn't matter. Whether they're talking to each other face-to-face -face or whether they're like shooting stuff across the, uh, the campus from each other from phone to phone, it doesn't matter. What matters is that communication. So that, that, that was one point. Is like Once it's like the tech it becomes irrelevant because it's just a conduit. And so whether it's, a, again, just like dispelling the classroom, the tech makes that possible. The other thing um, uh, that I talked about with the articles that we've read about learning happening outside or independent of the box, um, not only the physical room box, but also in terms of discipline. Um, and talk about more interdisciplinary project type 
learning where students engage in something big. For example, if it's a business student, um, yeah, integrate their, their knowledge of economics, marketing, and foreign language since they're going to have to have to permeate foreign markets, right? So whether they're going to be marketing, you know, so they're going to make a, make a pen or a, or a thermometer or whatever it is that they're building to, to sell, um, yeah, economic basics, the factory producing the costs, uh, marketing for Japan, marketing for France, marketing for England. How is that going to be different? How do you pull all that together? <clears throat> so it's not an English classroom. It's not an economics classroom. It's not a marketing classroom. It is a project that the students <clears throat> are working on together. And the classroom, the classroom, that box that you talked about, becomes less and less relevant. Hmm. That's a good point. But I didn't think I was making a mistake. It's The point was that the technology allows certain things, right? The right, well, so it's impossible to avoid, right? right. It wasn't a mistake. Right, it was... and it, ha <laughs> it, it has, a the technology has affordances, right? Things that it allows us to do. But to build around a technology is the big mistake that people have been making rather than saying, oh, what yeah. does the technology allow us to do? So there you go. But we're in agreement on that. Okay, your turn, yeah. go. Your suggestion. Uh, uh, let's see, my suggestion. Um, or your idea. Okay, your this prediction. is... Um, Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll keep in, in terms of my, my pessimistic attitude here. Um, I see, along with, with all this, um, we talked about cost-cutting and different kinds of ways of combining different things. I see uh, an increased trend of universities to outsource their language instruction to um, non-academic <clears throat> companies, language instruction companies. Um, there's a lot of universities that in the past have tried to do this kind of behind closed doors, you know, rec recruiting a company to provide its teachers and, you know, curriculum and so forth and so on. But rather than hire language education professionals directly, they will outsource these tasks to um, other companies. And one of the things to watch for is one of the uh, larger universities in the Kansai area who um, are starting a new quote-unquote international department, I believe, uh, have basically abandoned the administration and um, educational aspect to, um, to a language company. And that's going to become one of their academic departments. And if they are successful, I think you can bet pretty safely that other large universities are going to follow suit. And you're going to see, if, if they are successful, contrary to what we see as the ideal, what we've just been discussing, continued and increased ghettoization of uh, foreign language learning. It's only English mentality. Wow, that's pretty pessimistic. Pretty grim, eh? That's grim. I don't know if I can completely disagree with you, though. I yeah, and there I'm hoping sense. and hoping that they will not be successful. Right, and my guess is that they actually. Well, the problem is, and this is where I'm really pessimistic: is nobody will pilot test and then compare the results. That's what scares me. People will just do this, and because it's cheaper. 
or it's and it's less management it's less problems so i'm not yeah actually yeah that's a that's a grim one mm-hmm. <laughs> because because it, it it goes exactly against what we just talked about in our previous discussion today um how ideally all this could be integrated and really kind of facilitate learning as a benefit to the student and we're bucking against this opposite trend right okay. um which is further fragmentation of learning and that's not the way to do it okay so i'll riff on that one so you're you're predicting an outsourcing of language teaching if certainly if this if this is a success then yeah other universities and this is at a big school and it's it's a big school and um also it also this is all part of the whole big anti-liberal arts push right i mean we've dealt with that like in the last year here in in japan specifically but i think it's a it's a it's common in the united states too well actually that was gonna be my next point Okay, and I'm going to disagree with that, which well, is I, I w- was reading um, that there are people who are now pushing STEAM instead of STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, arts, and hmm. math. I think there's a real understanding about people who are educating and people who are deep into science, into engineering. And we're talking about the archetypes, the Richard Feynman's, people who really understood that there is no division. This is the the third culture. Mm. I think that people are going to find out that if you just teach science, technology, engineering, and math, it's equally as bad as just teaching art and literature. And this kind of goes back to my feeling that, again, we're going to see much, a lot more hybrid models. We're going to move away from either or to and. So you will learn engineering and literature. You will learn math and art, or you will learn art and math, and they will not necessarily be separate subjects. I think there's an understanding that the way things have been going, especially in Japan, people um, with an. By the way, I don't know if most people know this. Uh, you know this one, right, Tony? That when you look at productivity measurements of productivity, Japan is a very low low rated country. Mm-hmm. Right, It is not the most productive country in the world. When you start to look at how much does a worker get done, given an amount of time that they're working, how much do no, they No, I, I, I share this with my students all the time. They're, all, they're always blown away. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, there, it's oh, I mean, a, I'm not. I'm uh, yeah, well, right. There's a real <laughs> difference between working efficiently or working hard and working long. So mm-hmm. I think what's going to happen is that as we see more integration, as the uh, younger generation starts coming up and coming through, and also that gen... An, slightly older generation begins to start working within schools, working within administration, working within bureaucracy. There's going to be an understanding that there's just no way for this current model to continue. Um, There's too much change coming, especially based on artificial intelligence. We've talked about, for example, just how autonomous driving vehicles is going to radically transform a significant segment of society. I think what's going to happen is we're going to see that those creative skills which come about through art and literature are going to become something that is realized as being an essential part of the learning experience. And so I think uh, Mr. Abe's whole push for STEM is going to be proven wrong and that I'm going to, you know, say very clearly that I think that that push to move the national universities to STEM is so short-sighted and shows absolutely zero understanding 
of what education is about and also I think shows zero understanding of what are the issues and the problems facing Japan. Yeah. Right? He's it's just so short-sighted and it's foolish. It's just downright foolish because you look at Japan's success and Japan's economic success is driven by producing high quality goods. Right? It's it's a manufacturing model. And I'd ask you this, right? Please show me a piece of Japanese software that is innovative and new. Because I think what happened is the model here is incredibly effective for creating people to work where quality control is of prime importance, where making sure something is done right. But there is absolutely no appreciation for what happens in an environment where creativity is necessary for moving things forward. I think that there's little, you know, it's such a top-down model and that there's so much from managers directing workers and no understanding of how creativity works in an organization. So I'm going to guess that once people start realizing the STEM model is not succeeding, they'll realize that, again, it's a hybrid model. Um, but we won't see that, I think, for another 10 years, is my guess here. Hmm. But we're already seeing it in other places. It's definitely present in Canadian Academy with my daughter's education. And so maybe here's a prediction is that Japan will continue to falter. The hmm. Japanese education system will continue to basically disable its incredible talent. These incredible minds coming through by forcing them to take tests and consider that memorizing information is most important than rewarding students for finding creative connections. So for those, um, there's this unbelievable funny thing. My daughter showed me this, and this is for people who, you know, if you don't understand the Japanese, I'll try to explain it. But um, my daughter showed me a picture where um, a teacher had had a picture of Indian bread, naan, and said in Japanese, nan desu which means, is this naan? <laughs> and the student wrote, so desu, which means, yes, of course. And the teacher marked the student wrong. Ah. Yeah, I would fire that teacher. The student obviously understood the question, carried it forward, played with it, did something totally unexpected with it, right? And gave the wrong answer. But it was the wrong answer, and therefore ah. the student is wrong. And I think that has to end, and I am both optimistic and pessimistic at the same time. Yeah, well, on this one, I hope you're wrong. I really it hope. Does, it does fit my pessimistic <coughs> yeah. viewpoint. Yeah, so I hope... Um, my prediction is that there's going to be an interesting struggle about this and whether or not people understand that the current work model does not allow for creative thinking to occur. And we know that that's going to be an important criteria for any individual's success in the future. Yeah. Okay, your turn. Go. Okay, well, we're running down in time, so maybe like... Uh, I'm going to predict we're going to finish very soon. Okay. Fast round, fast round. So okay. this ties in just what you are just talking about. Standardized testing, more or less, in the future. In Japan? Yeah. More, but of a different kind. Huh. What kind? They'll what kind? try to test creativity. Ah. I have no way. <laughs> <laughs> okay pipe dream pipe dream um, okay my turn okay. um gamification of education badges uh, rewards yeah elementary school only 
Okay, your turn. Go. Um, pendulum swing on study abroad. It's really, the trend is way, 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 way down. Is it going to increase? Are more kids going to start looking outward? What do you think? I think, yeah. Okay. I'm going to modify that by saying I think the elite kids, the really great mm. learners, the really yeah, that's what I was thinking. are going to really take that's advantage what I was of thinking that. Of, and the, yeah. the middle-level students who could really benefit from it will probably not. Yeah, I was, th- I was thinking of my Hyundai kids because that's where I've seen it decrease so much. And, um, you know, okay, April's coming up, new year, and I hope I see some iota of reason for hope. Okay. <laughs> Hoping for hope here. I'm getting pretty desperate over there. Okay, my turn. Um, I yep. think we'll see increased feedback mechanisms using um, technology so students know where they are, how they're learning, and teachers will begin to use that a lot more. I hope so, but I think it's going to take some time still. Because okay. that's, that's one of the things that we talked about, and I was very, very excited about. I think that's one of the things that really, like about technology, there's something that really lends itself well to. I'm hoping that um, younger teachers will be more open to using that, that kind of communication in the face of bureaucratic pressure not to. Okay. Yeah, actually, when I think about the fact that there's I don't know even if at my university there's a course in technology and ed or education technology even. I know that they don't have to design apps, which you know strikes me as being something that I think is going to occur mm-hmm. in the future. So, Okay, so <laughs> prediction. I think that we'll see individuals bypassing the bureaucracy by making their own apps for their classes, even at the elementary, junior high school, and high school levels. Yeah, maybe. I mean, because making those things is becoming easier year mm. by year. Um, I think that's still a ways out. I mean, I, I think I can see that happening. Um, and I, I can see that coming from the teachers rather than from the schools, for sure. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, a little I bit so. more decentralization. Oh, I'm, I'm... Mm. Good. Well, because out so. of frustration, because the technology mm. will be so easy to use. It'll be so easy to set up the website or set up some kind of communication between students or provide students with, you know, some, you know, quizzes, online quizzes that they can get immediate feedback on. It's just too easy to bypass. And the privacy is enough there. There's enough encryption. But that'll be the, become the, the reason against it is to say, no, students are having to provide private information. Therefore, we don't allow it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. But I think, you know, okay, another prediction, I think um, we'll... Um, teachers and educators will begin to realize that these um, mobile devices are excellent tools for learning and that the advantages outweigh the disadvantages. Mm. Well, it's got to happen if sooner or later. You'd think it would have happened already, but yeah, yeah. I just keep hoping for that. Well, I too. can tell you, you know, that, you know, when I turn to my students and I say, okay, take out your phones and leave them on your desk and use them, the initial shock. And the expressions on their faces. Yeah, they think it's a trick. Yeah, they think I'm trying to. Like, <laughs> they look at each other. Uh, is he going to fail us if we do this? Is this like a what, what, test what question? This? It's what, a trick what, question. What is this? What's happening here? Okay. Any other things, real quickly, Tony? You it's fast. Add? Um, um, recently from um the the, the folks in Tokyo uh, talking to the universities, talk about uh, having this really big push to admit more international students. Do you see evidence of this, and do you think that's going to happen, or is it happening? Is it going to happen? Is it going to make a difference, or is this just smoke? I'm, a, I'm at a school that has a pretty good foreign student presence. We're pretty supportive of that. I think that they'll push for it, but it kind of, um, I think it will backfire in the long term. 
for what they're hoping for. I think the students will come over here and will find that the classes are not taught in the way they're used to. I'm especially thinking of American, Canadian, North American, and then European students. Sure. Sure. Are going to come over here and they're going to find that the way the classes are taught is not what they were expecting. I think we'll continue to see an increase in Chinese students coming over to Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the economy. Yeah. Depending on their economy. Um, so I don't know about that one. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree with you there. Um, I, I, certainly. And what I, I, can, I can say two things about my, my personal experience at, at uh, I'll, I'll say Osaka University. Um where there is something of a foreign presence, but I am surprised um, how many of my Japanese students complain. This is, yeah, you know, they're majoring in foreign language or coming to Osaka University. They are to, almost to a student disappointed by the, the few number of foreign students that there are and the few opportunities there are to um, converse with people in other languages, you know, because they're majoring in, in, they all minor in English or major in English for my students. Okay. But they're majoring in other languages as well, so they they want to practice their English. They want to talk, speak their Italian. They want to speak French. They want to speak Spanish. They are dismayed by the 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 students, um, the, the the small number of foreign students that are there. And two, yes, all the foreign students, because I have foreign students in my classes too, from Finland and from Canada and the United States and India, wherever. They also kind of echo what your prediction was. And yeah, they are not happy with the education that they're getting. Well, I know that, you know, I, I t- teach a math, it was in a master's program, uh, infrastructure. And so the students have to go out and intern for Japanese organizations and literally to a T to every one of them, <laughs> they just come back and they're like, you know, I'm not going to stay here after I graduate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, Sad, huh? well, it, my prediction is that the people at the top will not get that. Right. That they don't understand that, you know, the good points of Japanese culture are usually not represented in a rigid top-down classroom structure. Although I do see more and more teachers changing, but on the other hand, I'm still surprised when I walk by classrooms so often to see a teacher standing and lecturing, and then if I walk by again later, an hour later, the teacher hasn't moved. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. again, so quick prediction is I don't know how much change is really going to happen in that, you know, whether or not people will learn Finally, the teachers and educators will understand that you can't, we can't teach the same way. Hmm. So, you know, combination of frustration and excitement, I think. So any other things real quickly? Nothing really quick, but I think maybe something for a future episode. Um, and we, we've touched How to on overcome our bit. pessimism. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not. Come on. Oh, gosh. Come on. Yeah, right. Um, but the idea of online education and what it might look like when it comes to Japan, I think that's a big one. I think we need to save that for another day. Okay. Because um, it's, it's an interesting been, topic. Know, yeah. Other countries, they they we've you know tried in different like Phoenix University tried in different ways, and there are different ideas that are out there. And um, I think you and I can probably kick that around for a, for an hour. Okay. Uh, and so better than and, kicking you know, me. Talk about. And uh, you know how that fixed, how that might fit and work, in, like in this environment. And the the only other small thing that I had was had a, a little bit about money, follow the money type of thing, where we talked about uh, that university have sourcing out its uh, English education to a private company. Um, kind of the inverse of that, where I'm at a, a another school 
where the government has given the school a a, a bucket of money, I guess, to create uh, a res English research center, which then kind of like steals classes from the English department and the foreign language department and recreates its own little mini um, curriculum um, with a this mission to you know, increase score, I guess, whatever test score they're using, or to somehow show results. Um, and just was going to ask you if you thought that is going to be, um, well, okay, one, here's a, okay. one successful and two, whether you see that as actually a, a government thing that's going to be, we're going to see more of in the future. I don't know about that, but I will predict that the person or the people who get put in charge of that um, new program will not have any background in curriculum development and design. That's my prediction. <laughs> I'm not going to argue. Sorry, <laughs> that's, my, argue that's, that that's my immediate response: is that well, they will, that's, they that's will put people in charge. They will give this money. There will be this, um, um, what is it? Not a portfolio, but you know, a goal, objective. There will be a what's the word I'm looking for, Tony? No, um, a desired outcome. An or there's a, there's yeah. another word I can't think of it right now. Mm -hmm. But they will have this objective and goal that needs to be reached. And rather than saying, you know, who are the people in our university who have experience with curriculum design, who understand how to do this. They will put people who have research expertise. Mm -hmm. That's my prediction. Yep. So, um, yeah, I don't see that going. And um, Well, the research people are the people who are going to be, be able to produce the numbers that they want to see. So, I mean, I know enough about research to talk about that. Right, yeah. <laughs> Okay. What what number do you want? <laughs> what results do you want? Okay. I got them for you. Last prediction. <laughs> Last prediction for me real quickly is, and this is less to do with teaching, but more to do with research. I think we're going to start seeing more replication studies and that the fact that the studies can't be replicated. Uh, I like that. That's because that's now happening in the sciences. And we're going to find out that a lot of the things that are basic tenets of education have little it? basis. In, How about it? Yeah. So that's my next oh. prediction and my final prediction. So I think, And I'm a, with you 100% on that one. And I think it's a good place. Criticizing research is a good place to end the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Not to say that there aren't people who are doing really good research out there, but I think we're going to find that to be the case. Okay. Mm. So, again, that was nice. interesting. Mm. Totally unscripted. No idea where that was going to go. Yeah. Wow. I'm tired. It must have been good. <laughs> okay. I'm tired. All I'm right. Tired. Okay. So I am Charles Wiz. And Tony Silva. And we are Two Teachers Talking. At everywhere. Com. Just append yeah. it somehow. Okay. <laughs> Two Teachers Talking Everywhere. Okay. And all the time. <laughs> all right. And um, we're going to announce again that um, our next podcast, which will yeah, be aired big April one. 1st. Big This is a um, through the kindness and the No fooling. No, kindness and generosity <laughs> of Paul Nation. Pro in my mind, one of the premier, I think, thinkers. I'm going to use that term in all honor. Thinkers, not just a researcher, but a teacher, an educator, a thinker in second language acquisition and as you know with a person who has moved vocabulary teaching i think incredibly far since he started his interest will be our guest in the next podcast which will be aired april 1st tell your friends this is um i think a really nice opportunity and i have the pressure of trying not to screw up in the interview but yeah yeah tell, a lot of pressure thank you this will, this will be i think an interesting one for people so keep that in mind april 1st and uh, tell your friends very good. Very okay. Good. You be well, Tony. You too. See you now. Bye. <laughs>